Good morning, Burlington Baptist Church. This week, as I prepared for this sermon, I sat and thought about a lot of things, and I knew Memorial Day was coming. I grew up calling it Decoration Day. Uh, some of you might know what I'm talking about. It was the day in which my family loaded up in the car and we started visiting all the graves of all the people in our lives that had come before us and some of them had uh, sacrificed their lives. I had a great great uncle who was in World War One, and um, he had been gassed over there. He came home but he didn't live too long after that and I remember my father telling me that story. And I had an uncle, my mom's brother, who served in Germany toward the end of World War II. He was sent over there, and he was a part of the occupying force that had to stay over there following the days when the war and the surrender were all over. And he told me a little bit about his story. And as I remember those times as a kid, and I remember them sharing with me, it made an undullable image in my mind that the things that they went over there and they fought for were things that I had to hold sacred. And you heard them in the video today when you talk about Memorial Day. And the other day, um, during our Kentucky primary, don't laugh, during the Kentucky primary when everybody went to the polls and everything has already been decided but you're voting anyway, it was the first time that Brett got to go and vote. And I told him at that point in time, I said, you're going to go vote with me. So he had gotten home from uh, work, and I went over to the house, and I picked him up. And I remember coming back over Conrad from our polling place, and he looked at me, and he said, Dad, he said, why is it so important for you to vote? And I said, son, I said, I guess it's best said like this that it would be like me spitting on the grave of my ancestors who fought and sacrificed everything they could so I could have this privilege. And I said, and I feel that way about my church too. And he looked at me, and it's one of those moments as a father when you finally see your teenage son get something. And he went home and he quoted that to his mother who then hopped up and went and got and went and voted. So <laughs> Memorial Day isn't just another day. It's not just the beginning of summer to me. Um, there is a time in which I remember. I wish that I could tell you that I was diligent in the way that I remember my ancestors. But this week, as I said, that as I was pouring over the sermon, it reminded me too because in my 17 years here, we served an anniversary that was the 175th anniversary, and Kenny Clore put a lot of time and effort into that. And we celebrated on the corner. And I remember that when we went through the anniversary of this church, we went through the records of how those people started this church, of how they were making $12 a month and $6 a month of it was coming to support Burlington Baptist Church. And I look to where we are today and the people that we're able to reach, and I don't take that lightly. And a lot of times as Christians, we get comfortable. So today, in this service, when I come to speak in just a few moments, don't take offense to what I'm going to say. I'm going to say things to hopefully stir and remind you the fact that as Christians, 
Our job isn't to walk into this place and just sit on a Sunday morning. But God intended so much more for our lives. Today, as a uh, beginning part of the service, I asked Chris the other day in staff meeting to play this song. And it's a song that, it's a newer song, but it's kind of like an anthem for me. And I hope you'll understand through the words as he sings it. It's titled, Good, Good Father. And it just reminds me that in everything that I face in my life and all the trials, God has a plan. And he already knows what's going to happen out there. And I don't need to be in a corner and I don't need to be running around in streets and I don't need to be on Facebook saying, what if? Because my what if is whatever God wants. And he is my good, good father. So Chris, share with us this morning. And I've heard a thousand stories of what they think you're like, but I the tender whisper of love in the dead of the night and you tell me that you're pleased and that I'm never alone you're a good good father it's who you are it's who you are it's who you are and I'm loved by you it's who I am it's who I am it's who I am and I've seen many searching for answers far I thought about singing that myself 
then I remember I love these people and I'd never do that to you. Yeah, you never have to worry about that. Hey, you never hurt my feelings when you agree with me. In the book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 46, if you have your Bible, I'm going to ask you to turn there. Gary Anderson is messing with my Bible. I told him not to shake all my places that I have marked. But in the book of Acts, there is a statement about the church that is overwhelming. And I know that we've done... Um, some series that touched on the book of Acts. But this verse can't be repeated enough. And I think especially in the days of where we are in this church and as Christians. And the reason why I chose this is because two words came to my mind about this sermon, and they are what if. I live in the world of what if. I can actually tell you I was educated in what if. Many of you know this, some of you don't know that when I originally went to college, I wasn't going into ministry. I didn't go into banking. My first degree was as a computer analyst. And what that meant was at a time in which computers were coming on to the scene, they paid people like me to sit there and try to figure out the right way to set them up so it didn't mess us up too bad. And as a computer analyst, there are a couple of things that you have to take. I had to take classes in Fortran, C, COBOL. See, yeah, people that are uh, in computers say, these things, they came and went. They don't even exist anymore. I had a class in BASIC. I learned on a TRS-80 which is a Radio Shack computer. Not only does a Tandy not exist anymore, Radio Shack doesn't exist anymore. But as I was in the classes, there's one class, it's called Systems Analysis. And what it did, it, it taught us to critically think about every situation. Because what we were doing was writing programs in all these languages to accomplish something. In COBOL, we used it for business things. Remember punch cards? No, you don't. But I remember having to figure out, even in my late days when it was fading out, they made sure that we knew how to do this. There was a company in Knoxville called Sperry Rand that paid me to write a program to punch holes in cards so we can feed them into a computer. I did it. And the day that I turned my program in, I got an A on the class, and they informed me that there are no such thing as card-reading computers anymore. But the logic sequence was like this. I would start out with my problem. And from there, you draw a line down, and you would either have a box, which a process, or you had to answer a question. And when I say the word what if, it's because My mind was trained to think this. That if the answer to this question is this, then what if the next answer is this? And you branched it all the way down, and that is how you came up with your sequence for the program that you were writing. And as people, we love that. That gives us another thing to worry and care and struggle over, the what ifs. 
in, in the early church in Acts, where they were, they weren't considering about the what if. And at the point of the time when this verse was written, great things were happening in the church. It was exploding. It was new. It was like everybody standing in line for the next iPhone that does exactly what the last iPhone did. But it's got a new number behind it. So everybody's all excited. The church is growing. And this is what it says. And I'm reading in Acts chapter 2, verses four, starting in 46. It says, Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They went to church every day. Think your life is bad? Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. When I read that, I hear a people that aren't saying, what if? We get caught in this loop. In, in computer terms, they used to call it an infinite loop, where you just continue to hang on the same thing over and over and over again. And I can't help but think that God hates the fact that we get caught in the infinite loop when the answer is right in front of us. We walk in and we say that we believe everything in Scripture. We believe that this is God-breathed. This is his direction for our lives. Then why do we put in a what if? But I am going to use what if today. What if we took everything out of here and put it in here? What if we took everything that is our guide and our list of how we're supposed to live as Christians and we put it in this church? Because I'm a believer that if that was to happen, you would start seeing exactly what I just read in Scripture. Because people weren't looking over their shoulders. People weren't worried about what was going to happen because Christ had already told them, I've already gone and paid the price for you. And what was happening in this time was it wasn't just for the Jews anymore. We're on the cusp of them opening it up later in Acts to the Samaritans who were, who were, who were hated by the Jews. To the Gentiles who were so unclean that people knocked dirt off their feet whenever they left them. So today as a church, I want us to look at what if. What if we abide by the principles? And now this is where it gets kind of tough. Because one of the principles in here is about the way that we deal with each other. Now a lot of times we have this feeling in our lives that I'm going to come in and I'm going to do my time with God. I'm going to say hello to everybody, tell everybody I'm going to pray for them, and I'm going to head out the door. But Scripture says that we are accountable to one another. Accountable. We, when we're in a panic mode and we don't want people to think too little of us, we throw up the judgment word. And it's not about judgment. It's about being accountable. I don't know about you, but I have to have people in my life that I'm accountable to. 
And I'll tell every man in this room this, that if you sit there and say, well, I'm accountable to my wife, every married man is. Just get the checkbook out and start talking. Why did you do this? Why did you do that? Why did you buy a gun? And I didn't know you were buying a gun. Whatever the situation is. But as Christians, we're accountable to one another also. Because who else are we supposed to be able to turn to? And I tell every man in this room, you better have an accountability partner. And I'm going to tell you this. My two biggest accountability partners don't live anywhere near this church. One of them is in Kentucky. One of them is in North Carolina. And the reason why I trust them so much is because they know me. Now, I'm going to sit here and tell you, and a lot of people always tell pastors never to say this from the stage, but I have a sinful nature. Pastor sin. We don't walk around in a globe that protects us from it. And a lot of times people sit there and try to set themselves apart, but I'm not one of those kind of people. But having people that I'm accountable to allows me to know that in my life, when I start to stray, when I start to move off in another direction, when I start to say, well, you know what? This is what the Bible says, but it was written a long time ago and things have changed. They're the people that pull me back on the point. See, in the book of Acts, we see the growing of the church and we see it in such a a massive way in how they were because they were focused on people being saved and following Jesus Christ. And I don't believe that the church is that way today. Matter of fact, I pretty well know it's not. We've come to be a place where You can walk in here and if you've got dirt, you just sit on the pew and then you deal with your dirt because I don't have time for you in my life kind of thinking. Or worse than that, I really don't care about you. And the church of today in America is just baffling to me. I shared with people this week that today, after the two services, I'm having a conference call with a pastor that's in England, in Manchester, where we're going to be taking our group to in two weeks. And he shared this with me. He says, you will arrive here, and then on Monday morning at 8 o'clock in the morning, you guys are going to walk in, and you're going to be in the public school. I am going to sign you with a teacher, Jeff, or an administrator, and you'll be with them the entire day. And you're going to walk through their day with them. And he says, and each one of the people that's with you is going to be assigned a person, and they're going to travel with that person. And at any time that you feel like you have something that you want to interject, we encourage you to tell them why you're a Christian. I watched my son walk across the stage this week in a country that was founded on the principles of freedom of religion is one thing where there's not even a prayer in graduation, where last Sunday night they had to go to a church 
to have a back Lord service just to praise and thank God for getting them to 18 years of their life? And you tell me that it's okay and we don't need to be accountable to one another and we don't need to have this focus and I'm telling you, you're wrong. There's enough naysayers in the world that sit there and say you can't do anything and what happens is is when we get in that mode, we're not going to do anything because we don't do anything. In the church, there's a couple of places that we need to work. And the one that I'm focusing on today is really brought up in the book of Galatians. If you look in the book of Galatians, chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. And this is some place that you're going to be uncomfortable. Sometimes you have to be uncomfortable. In the book of Galatians, it says this. It says that Paul has to confront Peter about what Peter's been doing in his life. And it's not that Peter's a horrible person, but he's a lot like us. Beginning in verse 11, it says, When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in wrong. Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belong to the circumcision group. I'm going to stop there. It's what we do. Paul is looking at Peter and telling him, he said, listen, we're past the point of whether Gentiles deserve Jesus. You've even preached that. And in one moment, you're sitting there and you're eating meals with them and you're talking with them and you're witnessing to them. But just as soon as some little pushback comes, just as somebody starts to oppose you, you pull back. And you go into your safety mode. And I'm guilty of that. I can't answer for you. But when opposition comes, does it mean that you get on your knees and you pray a whole lot more? Or does it mean that you go in a corner and start with the what ifs? Well, you know what? What if this happens? And what if that happened? You know what? I'm I'm only 51 years old. But I can't tell you how many times I've been in useless conversations. And useless conversations are this. When people come to me and tell me, well, you know, Jeff, if this happens, then this is what's going to happen. What if this happens? And what if this happens? And you, do you know what usually happens if God's at the center of it? No, I'll say that in a different way. You know what always happens if God's at the center of it? Whatever God wants whatever God's plan is. And I'm going to tell you, did I get caught up in that too? I told you, man, it's, it's a part of my brain. And it's probably something that I need to work on spiritually, surgically to remove from it because I don't want to be caught in the fact of saying what if and looking over my shoulder. I told you that when 175 years were celebrated here in this church... 
that we were looking back, and one of the things that we celebrated is how this church stayed on track and focused on the will of God and was still reaching people. Because you want me to tell you something? The first church service at Burlington Baptist Church did not even look similar to anything that exists today. But every one of them was here because they had faith. I'm sure that they had a business meeting. We're Baptist. There's got to be a business meeting. And a meal. There was always a meal on the grounds because that way, when they rode their horses, it wasn't such a long day. But in those business meetings, I guarantee you there was a what-if person. And you know what? If you're a what-if person and you think that it really matters, and you feel like people come to you because you're easy to listen, and you always have some great advice, advice, you're the garbage heap. Meaning that people know that they can come to you and dump this stuff on you. And you'll converse and you'll, you'll help them spin it and turn it and struggle. Instead, when anybody comes to you or whenever you find somebody playing that what-if game and that struggle, what if this happens and what if that happens, do you take the person by the hand and help them to their knees and sit there and pray with them? Do you open up the word to see what God has intended for our lives? Or do you like saying, oh, yeah, you know, I pray about it all the time. I just want the will of God. You know, I tell you something. You don't want the will of God. You got a personal stake in it. The will of God is to move forward and to progress. It's not to hang and get caught in the mud, in the mire, in the struggle and spin. I look back. It's a little bit over eight years ago. I preached a sermon here right before Todd started. And I noticed that a lot of the things that we talked about on that day were similar to the things I'm talking about today. Because we've gone through a what-if period in this church. And you might enter here every week and you still think to yourself, well, how's this going to play out, and how's that going to play out, and how's this going to play out? And you know, I tell you something, if you are sitting there, and those are the thoughts going through your head, take it to God. Because I'm a firm believer that he already knows what's going to happen. I have to if I believe in everything that's in here. And I'm not going to struggle with the stuff that Satan keeps planting in my mind. And to my knowledge, there hasn't been a place where God hasn't been able to deliver yet. That day, when Paul looked at Peter, he wasn't looking at him with condemning eyes. He was looking at him with eyes like, come on, man. I love you. I need you to get back on focus because these people out here that are going to be dying and going to hell unless you're out there doing your message. And listen to me. That's what I'm saying to you here. If you've been hanging on the fringes, playing the what-if games, if this happens, then I'll go back and I'll get involved. 
If this happens, then you know what, I'll join a small group, you know, and, and I'll find a group of believers. You know what? I just read to you in Acts where it is so important to have community. And if you're a Christian, if you're a member of this church, this room, this might be hitting you hard. If you're not a Christian here, you're sitting there going, really? Where has, where we have truth and accountability to become a Christian. And if you're not a Christian, let me tell you this. Yes, you're supposed to. And it doesn't separate us from you because we're all out there struggling the same way that you are every day. There's really not much difference. The difference is, is that we shouldn't be, as Christians, looking back saying, oh, woe is me. The first book I thought of this week was Chicken Little. Second story I thought of was Peter and the Wolf. Quit crying about things that you don't know and let God lead you through them. Because that's how we're going to benefit and that's how we're going to grow. Those things can all be distractions to our lives. And the second point is this, that perfection is not a prerequisite. A lot of times as Christians, we get caught up in the fact, say, Jeff, you know what? I, I agree with what you're saying, but I can't go to a brother or sister in Christ and say, hey, I know you're struggling here, or can I pray with you? Can I help you? Because you sit there and you look at your own lives, and I can't tell you how many times people do this when they're especially searching for Jesus Christ. They're sitting there looking at their lives, and they're sitting there going, but I'm not good enough. Heck, I just read to you about Paul going to Peter. Does anybody know what Peter, or Paul's hobby was before he became an apostle? Yell it out. What was his hobby? Persecuting Christians. Oh, that's the nice way to put it. What did he do? He was a murderer. He went out and killed people because of their belief. So if you're looking at me telling me, well, I can't do this, Jeff, because, you know what, this week I thought something bad about that person over there. I do that when I'm going down the road and somebody cuts me off. But what I'm telling you is this, that Satan will continually distract you with thoughts and statements like that in your life because he knows that if you're striving for perfection, you're never going to get it. I have this statement that my father taught me. I remember the guy he told it to, walking out of church. He looked at me and says, Brother Perry, aren't you going to be saddened when, you know, church takes off and you're no longer the pastor? And Dad said, first thing he said to him, he says, I would be disappointed if it didn't. And this person added on, he says, you know, he says, I just don't know if I can stay here now in this church. He says, and he started listing off the problems in the church and the people with problems in the church. And Dad just looked at him straight in the eye and said, do me a favor. When you get to that perfect church, when you find it, go up to the pastor and tell him, I'm joining the church and you're perfect no more. See, a lot of it's based on the way that we perceive ourselves. And we've got a job to do. We've got people to reach. We can't be stuck in the mire. And I am so excited. I'm going to say it from the pulpit today. I'm so excited because God has always led us into better things. 
and I hope that that's what you know in your heart and that's what you believe in your heart and that's the things that you talk about with other people it's not about what ifs and that can go with ministers too quit trying to figure out why everything happened and understand that God's the one that opens doors God's the one that moves you forward God's the one that leads you to the point where you can share your love with lost people if you'll take the time to do it. Yeah, perfection's not a prerequisite. And I have to tell you one Brett story. And it happened last week while we were at Baccaloit. Brett came to me in the afternoon and he was dressing for Baccaloit. For those of you that were here last week and saw our banter back and forth in the second service, you know that I picked on him about wearing short pants. He came to me that afternoon. He says, Dad, I'm wearing a button-down shirt. I'm going to wear long pants. So I guess my point was made. Comes out in the living room, and he says, okay, how do I look? Now, on Brett, when he pulls pants up, usually you can see some sock or something like that because his legs are disproportionate to the rest of the size of him, and that's because of the refrigerator. Um, <laughs> it's all right to laugh. But anyway... He looks at me and he says, Dad, he says, I just want to make sure that I look just right tonight. He said, because, you know, he says, I don't want to be a distraction. And I said, son, I said, you're already a distraction to me. And he goes, why? And I said, because you got white socks on. Dress shoes, pants on, button-down shirts, got white socks on. I said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to put colored socks on. And I went up in my drawer and I pulled out a pair of colored socks and he stuck them on. And I said, you look so much better got up over at Mount Zion Church to give his address at the baccalaureate. And he stood there. And the only thing that I could focus on was the fact that he had colored socks on. <laughs> Which was funny because after baccalaureate was over, after graduation, people were coming, Brett just did such a great job. I have no idea what he talked about. I just know that he looked right. And I guess that's what I want to draw is, you know what? If I came up here and I was dressed funny, there's not a lot of people that would sit in a worship service and focus on what God has to say. Same way when you walk in here and you carry your garbage and the struggles in your life, when you're focused so much on that, how is God ever going to be able to move that stuff in your life? Don't worry about being perfect, people. Just worry about making God known in the perfection of the plan that he has for us. Last thing I have to say is this. That when you move past perfection, and when Paul did, Paul stepped out and he talked to a sinning brother. And it's important that we know that he talked to a sinning brother and not somebody he just had a personal problem with. But there are two requirements that you have to have before you talk to a brother or sister who might need you. You know something's going on in their life. The first one, you've got to love Jesus Christ with all your heart. If you love Jesus and you sit there and call yourself a Christian, you've met the first prerequisite. 
The second one is you need to love the person that you're going to talk to. Because if you're doing something out of spite, if you're doing something to boost your own ego, keep it to yourself. But God has placed us as instruments in a holy Christian community, as a family. So we can speak into one another's life. So when we are struggling, you know what? It's like this. There is no way in my life would I want to go around and not represent Burlington Baptist Church, but more importantly, God in the best way that I could. If I was doing something or saying something or being a certain way that was drawing people away, I would want to know what that was. It would be like, every guy in this room can feel this, you have to get up in front of somebody and your fly's down. You hope that somebody's going to walk up to you and tell you that you have something that needs to be rectified in your life before you get up in front of everybody. And I don't think that I've ever looked at a person that has shared that with me that I've jumped down their throat saying, I wish you just kept that to yourself. That's horrible. What, you don't ever have your zipper get, does get stuck? You know, all those kind of things. I've never attacked somebody over that. Matter of fact, I'm very thankful. And as Christians, when we approach people with God's love and our love, they're not going to jump back at you either. The one thing I always notice is that when people start to move away from God, it's usually the first thing they do is move away from the church and the church people or the youth group. Maybe because they don't feel like anybody's speaking truth in their lives and love into their lives. Guys, I'm telling you this just to talk to people. Talk to them. Share with them your heart. Don't go around talking about people. I close it by saying this, that Kent knows this, Chris knows this, anybody that's ever been in ministry knows this, that there's a lot of people, great, godly Christian people, that walk into church offices everywhere. And when they do that, they're either coming to lift us up or they want to let us know something. Some people are great. They don't even wait till we get in the office on Monday. They'd stop us while we're walking through. And there's sometimes that I have to remind these people that if you are coming to me to complain, if you are coming to me with an issue, if you have ever done this, I'm calling you out. If you have ever sat and talked with anybody else about a problem you have to somebody else, you're unchristian. Because that means that we, as the body of Christ, are not man and woman enough to go and do what Scripture said, which it says go to that person. With the love of God and with love for them. Don't go in there with your personal feelings. Don't spout off things that I know a bunch of, I know a bunch of people 
the opening line to every pastor's Monday morning. There's a bunch of people that told me this. Who are the people? Well, I can't tell you who those people are. You want me to tell you something? I love you. Go tell them to come and tell me. My door's open to everybody. But as Christians, if we can't accomplish that, if we can't love and we can't push through that wall ourselves, how do we ever expect to grow no matter who is leading us? Or who sets the plan? Because we're so stuck on what if. That God's going to look at us and just say, Children of Israel's walk, the children of Israel walked for 40 years. I am in no shape to be walking that long, nor do I have the desire to go through the desert. And I hope you don't want either. I close by saying this I know the hearts of the people here at this church. And if I once thought that you did any of that intentionally, I, if you ever thought that I did it intentionally, you need to come to me, number one. Number two is this, know this, I don't do it intentionally. I'm just a stupid guy going through life with my struggles. But as we go through life together, let's take up what the church in Acts was doing. They were growing daily, they were meeting daily, they were breaking bread together. That's what we're getting ready to do here. Because it signifies the love of Jesus Christ. And everything, believe me, I've prayed about this a lot this week, everything that I've shared with you is with my love and the love of Jesus Christ. I told you many times when I preach that when I preach, it's harder on me than it is on you. Because I start my own little checklist going, man, you really screwed up here, Jeff. You really messed up here. And I go to my accountability people and they pray with me. I go to my friends that I share my staff time with and they pray for me or with me. And we're here for you too. So this week, if you know somebody that you've got to make amends to, make amends. If you know somebody that's struggling and is a Christian that they're making some wrong decisions... Take them God's love and your love and be willing to walk beside them. There is nothing to draw a non-Christian outside of the walls of a church into a community than to know that there's somebody there that cares for them. And I think that's what Burlington wants to be. It's what we want to be known by. It's a group of people that love and we're here for one another. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you this morning. This morning as I prepared this, you know that I told you these have got to be your words and not my words. Because a lot of these words I'm speaking to myself. And Father, I just thank you for the grace and the peace that passes all understanding. I thank you for a church like this that knows that sometimes before we get ready to start a great adventure into a swell and excitement of where you're going to move us to next, that we need to make sure that we've checked and nobody's being left behind. 
that we make sure that the people that we sit on a pew with every Sunday know that they have purpose and they're loved. And Father, if we've got a problem with truth and the way that we deal with people, either neglecting them or talking about them, Father, let us get that straight in our lives. I can't argue with you, God. It's in the Word. Because it's in the Word, I know that it's your will. This morning, Father, in this time of invitation, I just ask you to be able to speak to us. To know that you're here for us. Maybe there's a brother or sister in a pew that wants to get up and come up and pray and just leave it at the altar. We have men that are up here going to pray with them. In just a few moments, Father, when we break bread, we want to exemplify that early church. Love and growing and knowing that people are coming to you. Father, guide us in this time of invitation. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.